0: At this time, the children are dismissed for preschool play and worship in Children's Church. And as they are heading out, I'll invite you to find Mark chapter 8 in your Bibles. Mark chapter 8. We'll be looking at Mark chapter 8, verses 14 through 30. Mark chapter 8, 14 through 30. This is a passage that takes place before what I read at the beginning of the service, before what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. But this passage is sort of the catalyst for everything that is to come for Palm Sunday and what it represents, and for Good Friday and what it represents, and for Easter Sunday morning, what it represents. For Jesus as the King, His crucifixion, and His resurrection. The passage we're looking at this morning is a perfect a uh, place to stand and look ahead to these things together. It opens with, I think, a wonderfully comforting verse in verse 14. It opens with the the mere humanity of the disciples. Look at verse 14, Mark chapter 8. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. Now, if you'll recall, Jesus had just miraculously multiplied bread and they had seven baskets full of it. Now, if this event comes right on the heels of that one, which we're not 100% sure but if it does, is it not comforting to look and see the fact that these disciples are just as human, just like us, just as forgetful as we can be? Is anybody in here forgetful? Husbands look at their wives and wives look at their husbands. Anybody walk out of the house and have to double back and get something that they forgot this morning? Does anybody else like me when you uh, pack for vacation and we even make a you know packing list and check it all off, do you build into your travel time the fact that you know you're going to have to turn around and come back to the house to get something you forgot? We always do that we We get ice for our cooler here if we 're going like to the beach. And we always pretty much plan on coming up this drive, getting nice and cooler, and going back down that drive and going right back to our house to get whatever it is that we remembered that we forgot. It's easy in our culture to lift up superhero people. You know, the TV shows we watch and the movies we watch, whether they're truly superheroes or if they're supposed to be regular people, often the main characters in these shows are just perfectly brilliant. And so they solve the crime in 30 minutes every time. They always figure it out. Or if it's a political show, they solve the geopolitical crisis in 30 minutes every time. They always figure it out. But Jesus' disciples have never been that way. Jesus' disciples have always been mere humans. And so they are forgetful. They forgot to bring any bread. But forgetfulness is not the biggest problem with these disciples, or with humanity in general. The biggest problem with these disciples and all of humanity is a very real spiritual condition. A very real spiritual condition. And it's universal, this condition. It affects people of every age. It affects people of every gender, every race, every level, economically speaking, Every place, geographically speaking, all through history, this very real spiritual condition has affected everyone, infected everyone. It's catastrophic in the damage that it causes. It causes incredible personal suffering, interpersonal suffering, political suffering, economic suffering. And it's here. You know, it seems like the more time goes on, the closer devastating physical conditions get to you. Either you get sick or someone you care deeply about gets sick. This very real spiritual condition is here. You are infected. I am infected. Your children, your grandchildren, your friends, your parents, all infected with this spiritual condition. So we're going to read about this condition and we're going to read about its cure in this passage. I'd like for us to pray before we enter into a study of the text. And we do this not just by habit, but because we really need God's help. We really need his help. So let's bow together. Father, we come to you humbly and some of us come carrying heavy burdens, and some of us come just weary and tired. Some of us come maybe distracted by the busyness and concerns of life. And you know each of our hearts and each of our life situations that brought us here. And I ask that you would kindly speak clearly to each and every one of us through your word. Please give us soft, receptive, pliable hearts. Please give us eyes that see and ears that hear. Lord, let these next few minutes not be an exercise in endurance or an exercise in human oratory, but let this be a reception of your word and your power and your grace and your truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we read together verses 14 through 21. I want you to look for this condition that I began to describe before we prayed. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he, being Jesus, cautioned them, saying, Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and the leaven of Herod. Leaven would have been a common vernacular thing to these Jewish disciples, meaning evil. Evil that starts tiny, but in over time permeates everything. Okay, so there's a little spiritual lesson that Jesus is trying to to teach here in the midst of this bread crisis in the boat. Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? So Jesus lays out the symptoms and effects of this condition with some rhetorical questions. So if you were to look on WebMD and pull up this condition that we're talking about, these are some of the symptoms and effects that you would see come up. The first is hardened hearts. That's what he says there in verse the end of verse 17. Are your hearts hardened? Hardened hearts. And then he goes on in verse 18. Eyes that do not see and ears that do not hear. Hard hearts, unseeing eyes, unhearing ears. These are the main symptoms. And what it leads to is a lack of perception or understanding. That's how we began this whole interaction. Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? These rhetorical questions are meant to imply you don't perceive, you don't understand, and here's why. Your hearts are hardened, your eyes aren't seeing, and your ears aren't hearing. Now, obviously, they had beating hearts that were circulating blood through their physical bodies, and those hearts were working in a physical sense. And obviously, their physical eyes were seeing. They saw the fact that they didn't bring bread. And their physical ears were hearing because they were hearing what Jesus was saying. So clearly, he's not talking about the physical heart, eyes, and ears. He's talking on a spiritual level. Spiritually speaking, your heart is hard as a rock. Spiritually speaking, your eyes are blind, your ears are deaf. And this is not the first time this con- this condition has come up in the book of Mark. The crowds suffered with it. Back in Mark chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, Jesus is explaining why he taught about the kingdom in parables, little stories, rather than just saying straightforwardly what he means. And he's explaining to his disciples, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those outside, everything is in parables. So that, and then he quotes Old Testament prophecy, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So the crowd suffered with it. The religious elite suffered with it. If you'll flip forward into chapter 7, Jesus addressing the Pharisees says in verse 6, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart, their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So here the religious elite have this heart issue. And the disciples, we have already seen, suffer with this condition back in Mark chapter 6, down in verses 51 and 52. After the first time Jesus miraculously fed a crowd with a, just a little bit of bread and fish, just after that, there's the miracle where he walks on water. And he walks on water right into the boat where the disciples are. And they are shocked. And Jesus' response reveals this condition in them. It says, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So everyone around Jesus has this condition that causes them, that renders them unable to perceive and understand spiritually. Okay, they can see and perceive and understand on the physical level, but on the spiritual level, they cannot see. They're spiritually blind. There's different types of blindness. You know, there's just the classic physical blindness where you literally cannot see. It has something to do with the way your eyes and your brain and everything um, receives light and the signals. And some people are physically blind. They can't see. Some people can see, but they're colorblind. So they can see everything, but their eyes don't translate colors correctly. Something about the wavelengths of the way light hits off of certain colors some of you may have that, where certain colors, you just don't really see them. I get that way with greens and blues. If, they're, if the green is close to a blue or the blue is close to a green, it just looks like green to me. I can't see any blue at all. A lot of different people are colorblind. There's also something you may have heard of called nose blindness. Has anyone ever heard of the term nose blindness? Nose blind? This refers to the phenomenon of if you, you live in your house... And your nose is so used to the smell of your home that it, it is no smell. You don't smell it at all. But then if a guest comes over, they smell your house because it's different from their house where they have nose blindness. So if, if you are a smoker, you don't smell the, the residue of the smoke. But a non-smoker comes over to visit, and they smell it big time. But you, you're nose blind, so you don't pick up that smell. It's the same with uh, different kinds of... Uh, laundry detergent gives your house a unique smell that you don't smell or having pets or what you cook all these things so there's this phenomenon of nose blindness that's actually like a scientific thing and then there's spiritual blindness so in regular blindness you can't see you, you can't see anything you could be blind to the fact that there's a podium right here blind to the fact that there's a big cross right there because you don't see color blindness, you might be blind to the fact that this is brown, and you might think that this is uh, dark blue. Nose blindness, you may be blind to the fact that your home has a very specific smell. Spiritual blindness, you're blind to the to God and the things of God. You can't see it. You can see the physical manifestation of the things of God, but you can't see the spiritual. And as a universal condition, we are all born with spiritual blindness. You can grow up in a Christian home all around the things of Jesus Christ and never see Him. never really see Him. You can grow up in church and Sunday school and going to camp and VBS and never see Jesus. You're right there, but never see Him. You can work at a Christian organization, you can be a pastor. You can be in the boat with Jesus right beside you and still not see the spiritual realities of God, the things of God, especially as made manifest in Jesus Christ. The Palm Sunday crowd saw Jesus coming in and they remembered the prophecies, but they couldn't see. They couldn't see the reality. We are all born spiritually blind. And there is no human cure, but there is a divine cure. And so, we continue to read on after this interaction with the disciples. We get to verse 22 and following, and it's a little bit frustrating because there's no elaboration on what Jesus just laid out. Not in Mark's gospel. There's a little bit more in the book of Matthew. But I want us to stick in Mark's gospel for just a moment. And I'd encourage you to go and read Matthew's account of this same thing, maybe later today as you're resting or this week. But for now, as we move forward in Mark, there's no elaboration on this. It just goes into another miracle story. So let's read the miracle story that comes just after that. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Now what are we to make of this miracle? There is precedent for looking at the miracles that Jesus performs and drawing from that a spiritual truth. We have to be careful how we interpret the Bible, but there is precedent for doing this, specifically with the bread, When you read John's Gospel, Jesus explains that the multiplication of the bread wasn't about the bread. It was about Jesus showing himself to be the bread of life. So maybe this miracle is similar. Maybe this miracle isn't about this blind man receiving physical sight. Maybe it's about showing Jesus as the divine healer of blindness, the divine healer of spiritual blindness. I think there's evidence to think that in the passage. I'm not just trying to make a sermon out of this and it's not there. For one thing, there's about a dozen words in these five verses that pertain to sight. It's a rich, dripping with the idea of sight passage. It seems to be showing that God, through Jesus Christ, can open eyes. And not just physical eyes, but spiritual eyes. But in case maybe I am taking too much license with that, let's jump over to a different passage for just a few moments. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 is a really powerful passage. And it looks at this spiritual condition from a little bit of a different angle. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. You'll need to follow along or listen carefully. It won't be projected. Let's read this passage and think through that lens of, of the condition of mankind apart from God's intervention. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The first half of that passage lays out this condition, this spiritual condition. And it's devastating. I think that we, as the church, and I know that we as the human population in general... Drastically underestimate. Drastically underestimate how serious our condition is apart from God's intervention. We are not basically good people that just need a pep talk. We are spiritually dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. The crowds rallying around Jesus, were spiritually dead apart from God's intervention through Jesus Christ. The religious elite that were plotting to kill Jesus, they were not just misguided, they were spiritually dead apart from God's intervention through Jesus Christ. The disciples started off from a point of being spiritually dead apart from God's intervention through Jesus Christ. The crowds laying down palm branches for Jesus coming into the city as a king were spiritually dead, and so they didn't understand. And apart from God's intervention through Jesus Christ, they remained that way, which is how they could have turned from welcoming, welcoming him as their king to shout and crucify him just days later. And we are spiritually dead apart from God's intervention through Jesus Christ. Your condition apart from Christ, my condition apart from Christ, the condition of your children, grandchildren, loved ones, co-workers, people on the news, is spiritual death apart from God's intervention through Jesus Christ. Church does not cure this. Only Christ can cure this. And I say that because I think that church is the most common mistaken cure for our condition. All the time when I come into contact with people that are outside of fellowship with God and Christ and people, they say, I know I need to get back in church. As though coming and sitting in these pews is going to solve the problem. But it doesn't. Many people have sat in pews and remained spiritually blind, spiritually dead. Christ solves the problem. And then as he does, we become the church. But religious activities, religious disciplines, it doesn't revive us. I want to ask, those who say that, I need to get back in church, don't get back in church. First, ask, why have you not been? You know, don't roll up your sleeves and try to get more spiritually disciplined. First, ask, why have you not wanted to? What is your desire? So if your desire is not to worship God shoulder to shoulder with God's people, Why? I think it'd be better to admit that than to try to pretend that it is. If you really have no desire to fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, the answer isn't to come and just just force it. The answer is to ask, well, why? Why have I no desire for fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ? If we have no desire to open God's Word... I don't mean here during the sermon, but in real life. We have no desire to open the word and figure out what it says and hear from God. The answer isn't to just plow through with discipline. First, ask why? Why don't I care? Could it be that for many people, the answer isn't I need to go to a different church, I need somebody that can preach more engagingly, I need different. I need a different mode of music. Could it be that the problem is spiritual deadness and spiritual blindness? Could it be that what we need is not something different, something better, something more, but what we need is a miracle? You know, in all of our churchiness, and in all of our Easter celebrations, let us not ever forget or overlook the fact that we are all spiritually blind, spiritually dead, until God intervenes through Jesus Christ, makes us alive, opens our eyes. Your great danger, church folks, your great danger, is going to be the temptation to forget about Jesus And just stay engaged with church stuff. That's your great danger that you need to watch out for. So we have to constantly come back to our hearts. We have to constantly come back and check our vision. The passage we've selected for this morning closes with some very important verses. Back in Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 30. This is the turning point of the book, as I talked about a few weeks ago. It's the turning point of the book. It's actually the verses that I preached last Easter Sunday in 2015. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. All these people, they couldn't see him. They couldn't see who he was. They were just drawing at straws. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Christ means Messiah, the fulfillment of centuries of prophecy. It means the Savior, the Lord. Interestingly, if you look in Matthew's account of this, which I encourage you to do, it explains how Peter came to this knowledge. It was a miracle. It says the Father revealed it to him. It's always a miracle when someone comes to saving knowledge of Jesus as the Christ, it's always a miracle. It's never brought about by human ingenuity. It's never a product of a super engaging church service. It's never a product of intelligent enough apologetic arguments. It's always a miracle. Because becoming a Christian is not a matter of just finally understanding a series of facts. Becoming a Christian is a matter of being spiritually revived from the spiritual death. And it's miracle work. And only God can bring it about. So this Easter, I pray that the Father will reveal Christ to you and to me. This Easter, I pray that those of us who are Christians will be deepened in our faith, that our vision of him would be further clarified, that we would see him more and more accurately for who he truly is. And I pray that those among us, or those who may come and be with us, many come on Easter Sunday that aren't usually in church, I pray that anyone who does come that does not know Jesus Christ and see him and perceive him and understand him would. That God would bring about miracles. Because we are all spiritually dead and thus spiritually blind until God intervenes through Jesus Christ, making us alive, opening our eyes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, please search our hearts, each and every individual one of us, and reveal to us what's in there. It can get so cloudy, and it can get so confusing, and our vision can get so blurred. Lord, I ask this Easter and even right now, and as we go through the rest of our day, that you would clarify in our minds and in our eyes and in our hearts, faith in Jesus Christ. Or if there's anyone among us who remains spiritually dead, who has never been brought to life through faith in Christ, I pray that you would make that happen. And for those who do trust and follow Jesus as their Savior and Lord, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them in that faith and enable them to go forward and be messengers of the gospel, messengers of spiritual life and spiritual sight out in the world.